Welcome back, folks, to the Randonista podcast. I have another fun episode for you today where I sit down and have an in-depth conversation with two amazing advocates. You've seen his face, you've seen his posts, but have you heard his voice? It's the elusive Peter Chung and his greatest hype person and an amazing advocate in her own right, the awesome force of nature that is Tiffany Kogel. In addition to to this great conversation. Uh, I have a friends on bikes eating dessert segment where I took out my good friend Leah who wanted to start bike commuting but hadn't really seen what that process looks like yet and so we did a Sunday ride doing a test of what her commute would be like in a low stress environment and I'm very proud to announce that she's actually ridden her bike to work since we did that recording, which is really cool. Um, And I'll have her talk about that uh, because we still have one more recording to do together. So I look forward to having everyone listen to that conversation at the end of the episode. And now I'd like to introduce you to today's co-host for the news. This is one of my friends who started as a improv friend. You can kind of see the air quotes as I do that. Uh, and in the improv friend category, and has now over the last several years pushed his way into my bike friends category, Uh, I guess straddling that because he's still an improv person. Um, But welcome to the pod, Scott Itzvan. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining me to talk about all of the amazing news that's happening. Uh, I want to quickly dive into a couple of updates In the last two weeks, there was um, the World Day of Remembrance, which happened right before Thanksgiving. And I didn't get a chance to mention it last time, but I wanted to make sure that I brought it up because this is just a really, you know, thoughtful event that happens every single year. And it's a chance to give light to all of the victims of vehicular traffic violence throughout the year. Uh, The new Boston Mayor Michelle Wu also attended the event, which was really nice to see. And everyone had the yellow flowers, which yellow is the color of remembrance, and laid those flowers at Boston City Hall. You can see the Bison, excuse me, the Boston Cyclist Union actually does a lot of work around this. And hopefully next year we'll be able to do the annual memorial that they do. So that was just a really beautiful moment. I wanted to make sure that I touched on that before I forgot about it. But in other news, exciting infrastructure, which, you know, hopefully will prevent a lot of these crashes in the future, um, is an update that happened to Mass Ave uh, in between Porter Square and Arlington. They added a lot of protected lanes and a dedicated bus lane. And I just rode through it the other night and it was wonderful. I was coming back from my friend's house in Arlington. She lives right on the Minuteman, but the Minuteman is not lit at night. So I moved myself over to Mass Ave and was delighted to find that areas where the bike lane used to disappear into parked cars and you'd have to be really careful about how you position yourself in order to, you know, not get hit by anything is now just full protected lanes. I felt so safe. It was wonderful. Have you seen those yet, Scott? 
I have not actually made it down there yet um, since they've been repaved. I, you know, used to go down there a lot. Uh, the homebrew store is down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and myself and another mutual friend of ours uh, like to brew. So that's a that's a stopping point frequently. Um, so I look forward to that trip being a lot more pleasant. Yeah, it was delightful. And it's on both sides. So you can really uh, get through no problem. And, you know... People talk a lot about, oh, what about the small businesses? Because they moved a lot of the parking, a lot, you know, 50% of it or so is going to be on side streets instead. And then the rest was removed. Uh, But I know you go everywhere by bike. And now this is a much more pleasant way for you to get to the homebrew store. Yes. Yes. I go everywhere by bike. Um, I do admittedly own a car. Um, I still I believe, won't hold it against you. I, I still believe driving a car in the city is a fool's errand. Um, and I believed that before I started biking everywhere, yeah. um, which is part of the reason I did start biking everywhere. So I'm glad to see that the city is finally catching up with being like, hey, maybe we need something other than cars to get around the city. One of the things that always gets trotted out every time new bike lanes are placed in, in place of parking spaces usually, um, as Space is scarce in the city, so how we prioritize space is always going to be contentious because there is a limited amount of public space. Um, One thing that always gets trotted out is, oh, it's going to hurt the small businesses. There have been study upon study upon study upon study upon study that show that this is not the case. Um, And also studies that show that businesses dramatically overestimate uh, the number of customers arriving by car. so much so as saying, oh, yeah, half, 50% of our customers arrive by car, uh, when in reality, that number is anywhere from 5 to 20%. Um, if you think about it, most business is local. Yeah. I, I was just attending a virtual meeting where they talked about how all biking is local. And I think that's that's really what we're always trying to talk about when we talk about all of this infrastructure. It's how do we get people moving? And on top of that, with these lanes in particular... You know, it's not just people want to be able to bike, but people want to be able to use the buses. And so now there are prioritized bus lanes so that it, they can move more people through so there. So this is something I'm really excited to see is uh, bus lanes, right? So I love biking. Obviously, biking's not for everyone. Transit is something that should be accessible and available to everyone. Um, and so improving transit is even more exciting to me than adding bike lanes. Um But the other thing that I'm curious to see is that they've made this bus lane a rush hour bus lane and off hours loading zone. Mm -hmm. And I think that is like that is actually a legitimate concern that I feel for the businesses. Like where do our trucks park? And also that benefits us cyclists as well when they don't park in the bike lane. Mm -hmm. So I'm very curious to see how the combination bus lane loading zone uh, actually works out. I'll be I'll be very curious to see if that is a successful strategy. Yeah, I I hope so, because I agree with you. That is one of the big complaints. But the the other big complaint is, you know, how do, you know, the the bus lane always looks like it's empty. And I kind of have to remind people sometimes that that's how buses work. They don't run constantly. They they run strategically. (laughs) Right. And if it's empty, that means the bus isn't stuck in traffic. Exactly. Well, I will be keeping a close eye on that project because I'm very invested in it. I ride through that area a lot going to and from. It would be a much faster way for me to get to, you know, the Minuteman if I could just feel confident going straight up Mass Ave instead of going out and around. So I'm very excited and I'm really glad that that's there. As am I. If it weren't windy and rainy, I would have taken a detour to get to you. (laughs) That would be a huge detour. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, but um, for today's big news article that I want to cover, this it, it this article came out in July of this year, but I figured when I have someone on who knows a lot about theater and improv and and the biz of Hollywood, if you will, this seemed like the right person to talk to about this article. So I came across this article recently called Americans are ready to embrace bicycles, but there's only one thing standing in the way. And that is talking about the on-screen depictions of bikes since the 1980s and how it's often portrayed as something that's kind of lesser or like a kid's thing usually. So I kind of wanted to dive into what this article is talking about and have a discussion around on on screen depictions of bicycles thoughts um yes that is the one thing standing in the way of more people adopting bikes for absolutely sure. the absolute only thing that is getting in the way of anything so the subtitle is bike sales are booming but on-screen depictions haven't budged since the 80s once again the 80s setting us up for our current dismal situation curse you reagan <laughs> Um, yeah, so this article, you know, talks about a lot of things. Uh, Pixar's Luca, which came out in the last year, has the antagonist is a, a grown man trying to get in on the the young cyclist race of under 16 year olds. And, and, you know, so he's the, the bad guy as an adult riding his bike. You see depictions like the 40 year old virgin where he's continually made fun of for not only not being able to get laid, but also because he doesn't have a car and he's not a grown up because he doesn't have a car and can't get himself around like everybody else can. I mean, the number of toxic things in that movie alone. Are, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not holding that up as a <laughs> beacon of wonderful movies, but it is a very popular one, you know? Mm-hmm. And if that's what people are seeing, it becomes difficult to get them to understand. I mean, I even... You know, I even think about just like my favorite TV shows and every time someone, you know, becomes a bike rider on the show, it's always in some way teased. Uh, On The Office, Jim briefly rides a bike to work and he just shows up incredibly sweaty and doesn't know how to deal with it. Um, On Parks and Rec, you know, uh, Rob Lowe's character has to ride his bike because he's trying to not think too much and that that part of it's fine but the way he's dressed as someone who's a huge sporting guy just doesn't make any sense like you can tell no one in the writer's room rides a bike either for sport or (laughs) for commuting so there's a uh a reality dating show that i enjoy uh sort of guilty pleasure watching called dating no filter uh Mm -hmm. in which uh there are you know couples set up on a date and there are comedians who then watch the playback of the date and comment on it um But there was one guy who set up a biking date and he showed up to the date on a bike. And of course, the comedians are like, what, this guy doesn't have a car? Mm -hmm. And of course, the one thing that the uh, that his date was like, well, I hope he's, you know, wealthy or at least, you know, has a car. Like, wow. Oh, rough. Yikes. Yeah. I think the, the article also digs into something that's really important and why you know it kind of sounds silly on the surface to even yeah okay great bikes aren't depicted well in in news and media but it, it has deeper issues um this is a quote from the article this stereotype of the biker has deep sociocultural and political roots a pernicious apathy against bicycles has crept through american discourse and policy over the decades from the racist ideologies behind the centering of the automobile and public life 
to Republicans' hostility towards bike infrastructure and safety policy. So these things can really, you know, make people view biking as uncool, a children's activity, or socially inappropriate for those who can afford a car, as we just discussed. And and that can have real negative effects, especially as we think about how to promote, you know, a greener living environment, how to move away from fossil fuels. And the other thing that we've talked about on the show before is the fact that just moving to electric is not a solution because it doesn't fix a lot of the car problems. Yep. Um, so one of the, there, there are sort of, as you touched on, there are two main stereotypes of bikes in media that I've seen. And it's one, this person is too poor to afford a car. Or two, uh, is the mammal stereotype. That's mm-hmm. uh, middle-aged man in Lycra. Yes. Um, AKA the uh, person with disposable income who uh, wears, you know, spandex Lycra um, clothing um, and rides a very high end road bike for fitness reasons. Right. So those are the two stereotypes that you tend to get in media and you don't get a lot of, you know, nuance. You don't get a lot of nuance, which, you know, media is obviously great at Hollywood's great at nuance. Um, (laughs) Watson is also great at nuance. (laughs) Great comedic timing over there. Um, But yeah, so, you know, obviously Hollywood's not great at nuance. I think it also bears mentioning of Hollywood and Los Angeles are very car centric areas. Um, You know, we have a friend from improv who was, you know, a big bike commuter out here who moved to LA and tried a little bit and had too many close calls and scary encounters that, you know, he ended up getting a car and kind of succumbed to that lifestyle. So, you know, you consider where our media is coming from is also not a bike friendly place. So it makes sense that you wouldn't see a lot of accurate modern bike depictions in pop culture these days. Yeah. I think that's a really valid point because people also talk about how LA doesn't have great transit you know, people rarely take the subway from what I understand there. I loved the LA light rail when I was there. Yeah. It was great. Because it's a huge sprawling city. Uh, I mean, as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts myself from comedians in LA, they're always talking about like, oh, if you live in this neighborhood, you never want to go to that neighborhood because it's like an hour and a half drive on a good day. And it just sounds miserable (laughs) most of the time. Yep. Can you think, uh, you know, to round out this conversation and and try to put a positive light on this, can you think of any really good depictions of a bicycle in media? The one that always comes back to mind is Calvin and Hobbes. Oh. Because we know Calvin's father was a big biker. Like, he loved biking everywhere. That's the thing that that keeps coming up in, like, reposts of that and all the bike communities online. That's adorable. Um, I was trying to think through myself... Of when I've seen just like a really great depiction of it. And it's so, it's so rare. The closest thing would be cool scenes that happen, happen on a bike. Like the opening to, um, the opening to the, the newer Lara Croft movie that had come out. She does this big, like kind of messenger race where she's holding a paint can and people have to chase after her because the paint is dripping out and, but it's just really fun. But again, it's it's showing kind of her immature side that she's hanging out with these people. You never just see a healthy everyday commuter riding around. Yep. Um, 
Maybe the closest thing we have to that is The Wizard of Oz. Mm, <laughs> that's a good one. I like that a lot. Or E.T. Or E.T. <laughs> yeah, those were good depictions of bikes. They also had it like Stranger Things. They ride their bikes around a lot. Yep. But again, they're kids. But yeah, they're they kids. don't so have that's, that's cars. The third, that's the, the third trope. Well, all of the um, people over 16 in that show do drive. The, the older kids don't bike around. One place that you can see a great depiction of the bike and what the bike can do for you is actually the 20th anniversary bicycle film festival bike film festival in Massachusetts. It's going to be a virtual event happening from December 17th to January 3rd. It's hosted by mass bike, but it is a fully uh, virtual event. So you can get your tickets online. I'll have links to that, but some cool things that you can see in this include Kids in Worcester using their bike as an outlet to stay out of the cycle of inner city violence. You have the first female BMX competition at a major sporting event. Um, The story of Marshall Major Taylor, who is from Worcester, as well as an incredibly stunning and thrilling view of the annual Tour de Rwanda. So there's just some really amazing stories in there that you can watch and that will be available online. And that is an excellent depiction of what the bicycle can do and the power of the bicycle. That wraps up the news. Um, thank you, Scott, for coming and chatting with me today. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? So I'm going to put in a promo for an upcoming Saturday is the Somerville Bike Committee's uh, Illuminations Tour. Uh, So if you want to get around, it's supposed to be a family-friendly bike ride, about an hour and a half in length, starting from City Hall and ending in Ball Square, touring all of the uh, lovely holiday illuminations, uh, meet at 5.45 p.m. I'm not affiliated with any of the organizers, but it sounds like a lovely holiday uh, festive bike time, and that is on Saturday the 18th at 5.45 p.m. Yeah, that one sounds quite lovely. All right. Well, that, that oh, actually, no, I can plug, I can plug Snazbar. Yeah, do it. So I don't have much to plug. I do run a bartending service focused on craft cocktails. So if you have any events coming up that you have a desire to have some bar quality cocktails, uh, look up Snazbar, snazbar.com. That's S-N-A-Z-Z-B-A-R. Um, I promise this will, in the future, tie into bike things, but uh, that's a 2023 goal. Well, if you want to support a local business that supports bicycles, support the Snaz Bar. That's what I say there. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something. Oh, All right. no, I don't have anything to say. I am, <laughs> I am planning on building a bar to go on the back of my cargo bike. Beautiful. And have that be part of the branding. Um, that sounds nice. Yeah. All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being here today. That is the news. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. I'm being attacked by a Watson. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Friends on Bikes Eating Dessert. Uh, I am currently sitting in the beautiful Harvard Square looking at the Charles River. And I am here with a dear friend of mine who I've known for a long time who uh, wanted to go for a bike ride today. Why don't you say hi to everyone, Leah? Hi, everyone. That was beautiful. Thank you. Leah and I have known each other for a long time, and she's had a bike for a while, had a newer bike in the last couple of years, uh, and we've been talking about taking a ride together for a really long time, haven't we? Yep. I got a pandemic bike. 
Yeah, I'm you ready did. Ready to use it. <laughs> I uh, actually came over in the summer with Watson to take a ride, and it was just too hot that day, and we decided to chill out in the air conditioning. Yep. <laughs> um, but Watson came with us today. He's currently snuggled up on her lap, staying warm because mm-hmm. it is mid-November. Um, but I wanted to help Leah in her pursuit of becoming a bike commuter. So from her house uh, near the Alewife Brook Parkway and near the Mystic River and Somerville, um, it's a tough commute to get over to Harvard Square. So we rode together on a Sunday when it was a little bit quieter to kind of check out the streets and see how it feels and how it looks. And so we're going to dig into all of that in a minute. But before we do, one of the things I really like to talk about is the location that we're in. So fun facts about Harvard Square. You ready for this? I'm ready for this. Yeah. So Harvard Square, obviously, uh, is very old. We know that. So Harvard Square actually started in 1630. Oh, yeah. Which is super old. Uh, if you tell a European, they'd be like, oh, my square is from you know the 1200s. But for the USA, that is a very, very old square. It was originally called the Colonial Village of Newtown, um, where the proprietors of Massachusetts Bay wanted to make the capital of their new colony. Over time, it went through a lot of phases, but the other really interesting thing about this area is that the streets uh, that we rode through were actually laid out in 1631. So a lot of these streets are the same way they were 400 years ago. That explains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, as we saw, a lot of those streets now have really nice biking infrastructure. Um, a lot of things that just came up in the last you know, year. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Harvard College was established in 1636. So not that long after Harvard Square was established. They established the college here. And then, of course, the center um, and the settlement started to gradually shift over time. So this place went from war recruitment in the revolutionary times to protesting war during Vietnam um, to being a big a big place for lots of artists, poets, people to be inspired in this area. And so it just, it really built up from there. To me, it's that place that I cut through that has a lot of students who don't look where they're going while I'm walking. But there's some really beautiful things like the um, the greenway we're on right now has these wonderful trees. There's this beautiful footbridge in front of us. Uh, on the weekends, they close down this major artway artery way there we go Uh, and you can bike along the water here so there's there's some really nice parts to harvard square there's also some fun um bars there's some there's a old-timey movie theater um so there's some some really nice places to go around here what do you think you you work in this area do you ever hang out here (laughs) that sounded like a no well I started the job right before the pandemic, so I had every intention of spending a lot of time around the square and unfortunately spent the majority of the pandemic working remotely. So I just started going back into the office twice a week. I figured good time to, you know, start learning how to bike over here and actually enjoy the square. So thank you for guiding me. No problem. Uh, Let's get into it. My very first question is, how did it feel? 
Um, it was less scary than I thought it would be. I think co- coming in on a Sunday was really helpful. It makes me a little nervous that obviously it won't be as ideal during commuting time, but at least knowing where I'm going now and knowing where I'll probably want to get off and walk is really helpful to have in advance for when I'm ready to actually commute over. Yeah, because we took a couple of quick moments where we stopped and we talked about intersections um, because, as you said, during the day, right now, when there's not a lot of traffic, it was easy to take the lane and make left turns and things like that. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting off the bike, going onto the sidewalk, and hitting that four-way walk signal. Yeah, definitely going to be doing that at least for a while. No shame. No shame in that game. Um, what was your biking history before this time? Um, mostly just casual, sometimes like local commuting, like to the store. Nothing more than like a couple of miles away for commuting purposes. And then like casual, like trail ride, like Minuteman Trail type and Cape Cod Rail Trail, that kind of stuff. Did you bike growing up? Because you grew up in Massachusetts, right? I mean, like, I grew up doing the suburban neighborhood kid biking that everyone did, where you just, like, drive around the block a million times and, like, make fake ramps and ride over them. But nothing, like, I was not an expert of any kind. <laughs> I I ask kids that a lot when I'm teaching. And I'm like, where's your favorite place to ride? And the, the answer most of the time is, around my neighborhood, to my friends' houses. And it's, you know, that's... Awesome. But if you grow up in a city or near a city, you don't get that same advantage as um, people like us who grew up in suburbs. So we have to really think about the infrastructure that we're putting in there so that kids can ride around this area. Mm -hmm. Um, What did you think of some of the infrastructure? I know, unfortunately, most of the roads we started on didn't actually have a bike lane. It was just quieter streets. But there's some really new infrastructure Nice infrastructure uh, coming into Harvard Square that you said you hadn't really seen before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it was really inconsistent, but where it was was really nice. Um, And I I will say, even before, like, not on the bike, but just being a resident of this area, it's nice to see every time I go out, there seems to be more and more, like, popping up places. And that makes it encouraging for people like me who are just kind of afraid and they're like oh well if I had a separate lane maybe I wouldn't take my car I'd get on my bike and like so seeing that kind of thing is really really encouraging and um, really exciting so now that you've seen it and we'll we'll try out a slightly different route for the way home because we stopped and talked about two different ways that you could go um how how likely on a scale of one to ten would you be to start at least once a week trying to trying to do the commute so this, so as we were riding today, I realized the, the, probably the last thing holding me back now is going to be time management mm-hmm. of like a lot of the time I just like jump over to Davis and get on the T because it's only two stops. Um, and then obviously riding a bike, I'm going to have to like budget more time. And that's something I've been looking to do anyway. So I'm thinking like to your point once a week, just to make sure I can like get to work on time and. You know, like if the weather's a little too scary, I'll skip that day. Um, but yeah, I definitely think since I only go in twice a week, uh, at least doing one of the days on the bike for until the weather is too cold or whatever would be good. Yeah. And I, I definitely, I tell this pe- to people a lot. When I started commuting, I didn't, I didn't go every day. If you say, all right, I'm going to flip a switch and I'm suddenly going to be a full-time commuter. 
oh, it's so easy to fail. And then you're like, oh, well, I failed. I might as well just put this away and never talk about it again. So what I always encourage is just take a day. It doesn't have to be the same day every week. Mm-hmm. It, maybe you're feeling better one day. Maybe the weather's nicer one day, to your point. Um, and then you can... <laughs> Watson's trying to say hello. Um, and then you can, over time, start to feel more comfortable. Because the other thing we stopped and talked about while we were riding was this idea of getting comfortable in traffic is it's a muscle and it's a muscle that you have to flex and figure out and stretch and and push um never past your limit of course if you're talking about traffic but it's something that you really have to kind of get used to exercise it exercise (laughs) it oh my god that's the right word see this is why you're here I knew there was a word I was searching for as I said a bunch of different thesaurus words. Uh, so, yes, exercise. Once you start exercising it, it gets easier each time. You feel more comfortable. You feel more confident. So that's definitely what I would encourage as you're going through all of this. Uh, one thing that we talked about while we were sitting here uh, was the fact that you did do a fun bike ride recently to a brewery. You want to tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah. So I went with a mutual friend of ours. I took my bike over to his house because I was a little scared to bike to his house by myself. And he was, you know, very patient with me on that. And then, so we took all these, honestly, like paths and trails that I didn't even know about yet. So seeing that, seeing that they were an option was really, really nice and exciting. It was like a beautiful ride. I felt like I was enjoying the weather, getting exercise. And then we got to reward ourselves with it a beer garden that had dogs on it. Um, and I was just saying that the beautiful bike infrastructure down by that water is new and really nice. And I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. So I think what we're getting out of this conversation is the reason that I started this segment, which is that I wanted to get my friends who don't bike around as much as I do out for a ride with me so that I could show them what exists and what's there. And on our way home, we're going to do even more of that because you said, that you didn't really know where two paths connect um, in my recommendation for another place for you to ride. So we're going to ride by that on the way home. Um, So I'm going to put a plug out here. I mean, I have plenty of friends to reach out to, but if you specifically would like to join me for a ride and try out a new location or go somewhere fun, feel free to reach out at uh, on Instagram at randonista or send me an email um, you can go to my website at randonista.com to find some contact information and we can go for a ride together. Uh, there's one last thing, um, that I do want to talk to you about, which is the fact that as everyone knows to get you onto this ride, I had to bribe you with some food. So what are we going to be eating today? We are going to be eating Belgian waffles from Zinnikens and I cannot wait. Oh my God. They look incredible. Check out her behind the scenes video because I took a bunch of footage of it before uh, we are going to dig in just now because I couldn't help myself and they smelled so good. And just sitting outside the restaurant smelled amazing. So yeah, if you work next to that restaurant, so I've been looking forward to this for a while. <laughs> yeah, I 
don't work near it and still wanted to go there. So <laughs> it's torture I to walk it. by that every day and not go inside. <laughs> so, Luckily, I'm only in twice a week. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to eat a delicious snack. And then we'll talk to Leah again later in this episode. Okay. Thanks, Leah. Yeah. Oh, I just want to say thank you. Um, and I recommend going on a ride with LJ. She mapped out a route for me and her personal time. She took me. We, she stopped to talk to me about things. It was. It made it really accessible. So thank you. No problem. Thank you. And we'll talk to you in a little bit. Thanks, Leah. Bye. Welcome, everyone. I am here with two people who, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time with at the moment. Um, and I'm glad that I do because we started an organization together. We've led rides together. Uh, they've individually done a lot of really great things for the city of Boston uh, and the greater Boston area, of course. Um, but more specifically, recently, uh, they've helped develop rides like the Ride for Black Lives, which we'll talk a little bit about today. And they have big dreams for the future of kids riding bikes in the Boston area. So with me today is Peter Chung and Tiffany Kogel. Hi, guys. That's it? Just hi? You're not happy to be here? I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you for having us. And uh, Thanks for having us, Lara. Looking forward to the discussion. <laughs> um, so I just want to say I'm a big fan of the Rondonista podcast. Aw, <laughs> thanks, Peter. So on a more individual level, um, Peter, Peter and myself have been leading rides uh, for Boston Bike Party for many years. And Peter is very involved in the cycling community. Most people know him. Hi, Viz Peter. Uh, leading rides all around, starting Brothers not brothers on Bikes, um, which does a lot of rides with women on wheels. We talked to uh, Yaria. Uh, you know, at this point, it was only a couple of weeks ago for me, but it would have been a few months ago since that conversation. And uh, I was very involved with um, producing the ghost bikes after tragic crashes. Uh, what other things do you do? You do a lot in the city. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, but I do what I can do and not don't do what I can't do. So I just I don't try to stretch myself too thin. That's fair. That's yeah. It's important to have uh, work life balance. Yeah. And Tiffany, you, uh, I remember the first time I saw you was years ago at the neighborhood bike forum. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Um, tell us a little bit more about what you do, because we just started working together in the last year, but I know you were very involved for a long time. So quite a few years ago, um, the city of Boston adopted this program, uh, was fortunate enough to get on board with the Healthy Community Champion program, and I was just graduating from interior design school uh, with four kids Whoop. well into my 40s. And... Um, the opportunity to work um, making our neighborhoods more walkable and more bikeable presented itself. Uh, and I'm so happy that I decided to take part of it because at the time I couldn't really understand how what I was doing and wanted to do, what, where the synergy was. Um, but as an urban planner, as somebody who cares very much about empowering black and brown people in under-resourced areas, that really was uh, the setting of the platform to me to be able to become more civically um, involved. 
Excellent. And one thing I realized coming into this conversation, and we'll we'll get back to our connections in a little bit, is I, I don't actually know either of your bike stories. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, rode for a while, drove around as a teenager, and then as an adult in the city just realized that biking was such an, an easy way to get around. But I know everybody's story is a little different. Peter, you grew up in Aruba. Did you bike there as well? I did, but not as much. Um, my 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 bigger part of my cycling came here in Boston. Um, before biking, I was into motorcycles and um, riding motorcycles and getting a lot of speeding tickets <laughs> made me decide that's not a good outlet. Um, and then my motorcycle got stolen. Aww. So, and then of at first it was devastating, but then, you know, just newly becoming a father and just being very dangerous sport i was uh temporarily living we were temporarily living in watertown right off the paul dudley path in watertown square and um, just started biking because i had this incredible beautiful bike path 18 mile loop from watertown square all the way to museum of science right in, f in my front doorsteps and uh, from there on i was biking this was around 2011, 2012, and then 2013, bike party started. I wasn't one of the founders, but I was there from the first ride and ever since was involved um, with bike party. Wow. I don't think, I knew you weren't a founder. I didn't realize you were still there from day one. Did you ever take your kids riding with you? Uh, no. They <laughs> never, they want anything to do with Oh, with no. <laughs> It wasn't cool to hang out with dad. Dad, you know. Uh, all yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, what's your bike story? So as a kid, uh, I always had a bike, and my mom was really strict. So I quickly learned that the only time that I really had the freedom to like explore and get around was when I was on my bike. So I always had an excuse to be on my bike. Uh, I was also a bit of a daredevil, so that could have had something to do with my mother kind of wanting to keep her eyes on me <laughs> um and way back when before it was anything anybody did you know I was like setting up ramps and stuff and jumping over porches and steps and things that I should not have been doing particularly without any kind of safety equipment but I digress so I always had a bike as a kid and we always biked and we moved from Boston um, when I was in the fifth grade to the suburbs, and it was even easier then to ride. It wasn't really until I moved back to Boston as an adult and was having children that I stopped riding a bike. And that was just due to the lack of infrastructure and that it just wasn't safe. My kids had bikes, but we would pick up and drive and go to where we would drive where I thought it was safe. So. That's kind of why I stopped riding. Where um, where were you riding as a kid? Where'd you live? In Boston, in Philly, uh, mostly in Boston around Roxbury, Dorchester, Franklin Park area. Yeah. In the park? In the park. Mm -hmm. Back then on the sidewalks. Mm -hmm. um, when we did ride on the street, unfortunately, and I shudder to say this now, but I was taught to ride towards the traffic. And... There were a few times when I was riding with the traffic and my mother would say, that is very dangerous. You cannot see the cars that are coming up behind you. And so I learned to ride on the street, riding towards the traffic. Oh. Yes. Wow. Yes. 
lots of, I mean, but that was like 40 something years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the education is different wherever you go. Uh, but another thing that I think binds the three of us together, because we have a lot in common, is the fact that we are now all officially league cycling instructors Tiffany and Peter just finished uh, their seminar a couple of weeks ago how does it feel feels amazing it feels good I'm glad it's honored to be (laughs) it was a lot of learning it's a long weekend too Mm -hmm. yeah honored to be in the group of LCI instructors I've always wanted to be one and um, now I I am one so it feels good Mm-hmm. Nice. I learned I, a lot too. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like that learning curve was something fierce. What What kind of things did you learn? What's out of the road so to Brian? On, obviously. So <laughs> just the differences in Peter. I don't think we could be any more different, right? But Peter comes from like a cycling world, and I think that that is represents most of the folks that went went through the class at, at least this past time when when we were in class. I think I'm the only like bike advocate, strictly bike advocate. Um, as you know, Lara, I started riding a bike again, kind of by accident, <laughs> at one of the rides. Um, I had signed up for um, E Somerville um, to use a scooter, and I actually thought that that scooter was something that I would sit on and that was motorized and I like a moped type of thing. When we got to the park, it was actually the thing you step on and ride. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not doing this for 10 miles. And they happened to have their prototype e-bike. And one of the owners, Natalie, said, why don't you try it? And I was hooked. So I rode the bike and test drove it a few other times. And, and then when they got their, you know, their new and upgraded bikes, I was able to uh, ride through the whole last year on their e-bikes, which, and if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been able to participate. Um, Just my physical challenges and my knee wouldn't have allowed me to do that. But yeah, so I was able to get on the bike the first time. Um, As you had mentioned, the Neighborhood Bike Forum, big on advocacy, um, always trying to figure out more ways to uh, expand people's awareness and love for biking, particularly in our neighborhoods in Boston, Roxbury, and Dorchester. Um, but yeah, I fell in love with e-bikes, and thankfully now I have my own. Uh, and so becoming an LCI was kind of the next thing for me to tackle. And when I say tackle, I think it tackled me more than I tackled it. But I'm really grateful to actually be uh, certified. And being in the class helped me to realize that um, we really need more. We, we need more LCIs. And we need LCIs with all different backgrounds and all different kinds of interests to really be able to understand how to teach people how to ride safely, um, all different kinds of people from all different neighborhoods. So I'm hoping that I can be a part of, you know, that next wave of LCIs that get trained. Yeah. Yes, we definitely always need more. We were just talking before this about how I was helping with an in-school thing, but I might have to get a real job soon. That might make it hard for me to teach in the spring. So we always need more people who are available at all different times for the weekends, for in-school education in schools around the city. And and, uh, the more people we can get and the more diversity we can get, the better we're going to 
be Mm -hmm. in the long run when it comes to bike education. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to talk about uh, inspiring kids soon because, you know, that was a lot of both of your your talk tracks here of, you know, you have your kids riding around. You rode a lot as a kid doing a lot of really fun things that I didn't I didn't know about that. I I did a lot of no hands riding as a kid that I can't believe I did. And I look back and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I did like full turns like without pausing or slowing down um, and, you know, uh, all of that. But I, I do want to take a quick moment just to uh, come back to the Ride for Black Lives because I want to make sure we're promoting it. Um, we are in talks at the moment to expand beyond the rides. But, you know, after everything that happened in the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, there was this really big need in the city to address that and address the issues that were happening in the Boston cycling community with uh, harm that was coming to our brown and black cycling uh, community and and to the people in that community. And so I got this really great opportunity to, one, address things in myself and, and learn from these experiences, but also to meet Tiffany and come together. And Peter and myself and Greg Hum, Uh, as the leaders of Bike Party came together with amazing leaders like Tiffany and other people that I'm hoping to talk to from our organizing committee, including Elijah, Saskia, uh, Alex. And so uh, all of us came together to bring forth this ride. And I remember that first ride, none of us knew what we were building. We knew we needed this. We knew people were asking for it, but coming out of that event, Oh, it just felt so amazing to have all of these people, but also all it did was have people asking for more constantly. <laughs> so uh, we kind of build the organization from there. But uh, I talked a lot for a moment, so I kind of want to hear your backgrounds and perspectives building this and, and some of your visions for the future. <laughs> Go ahead, Tiffany. I'll, I'll, I'll take it back to the neighborhood bike forum and the original name had like equity in it and Boston in it and kind of got shortened to you know the neighborhood bike forum um so for me even though this paradigm shift or what seemed to be a paradigm shift of people coming together for the black lives movement in form of protest was like my next step and so I had participated in some protests um, prior to the first ride and had my kids come to some of those protests as well. But I really felt like I wanted to and needed to do so much more. And so when we were kind of all faced with the opportunity to be able to get people on bikes in the form of a protest, that felt like the universe was calling to me to 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 get involved. Um, I think that the cycling community in New England, in Boston specifically, uh, looks to be very homogenous. I think that the the optics are very white man and spandexy, but that's really not actually the case. People from all different backgrounds in Boston ride bikes for all different reasons Uh, obviously for recreation but then again too 
to get back and forth to work. You know, I've even seen some folks bringing their kids to school or going back and forth from the bodega or the supermarket. And so these these kinds of optics and these kinds of stories don't usually get amplified. Um, people are really aware of Boston Bike Party and everyone got behind that. And so we were really fortunate to have you folks who are a part, a part of the Boston Bike Party bring your friends and, and members to the movement uh, and be a part of Ride for Black Lives. And as a black person who feels very strongly about my role in bike advocacy, it was a, that I, I totally agree with you. That first ride was euphoric. It was amazing. Um, it was a lot of white people in one place. <laughs> but they were all there because they wanted to do something. And then we were combining protesting for the movement of black lives with all of our loves for cycling. And so although there are ride for black lives in so many other cities and states, I think particularly here in Boston where we're not really the, we, I don't say we're not really the kind of city, but there are a lot of grassroots and groundbreaking initiatives that I think are more prevalent in the Midwest and the South that we kind of don't take part in. And I felt like we were a part of building something that would have a trajectory and a legacy to bring black and brown communities of cyclists together and in turn, all of black and brown and white Boston together. And we were building that on our love for cycling. Yeah, and, and just to add on to that, I, I feel like all of these things uh, need momentum and, and we had this really great opportunity to build the momentum, but then you add on top of that things like our recent election where we finally elected someone who's not a white says male to our, our mayoral ship. So all of these things, you know, can kind of grow together and hopefully these pieces will all build on each other, which would be really nice. And I just want to kind of bring out Peter's, one of his most recent posts, my mayor rides a bike. And it's yeah. just like, yes, she does. Yeah, and I just want to shout out Michelle Wu, 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 Wu train. <laughs> We're so happy to have Michelle Wu in office. She's somebody who understands the importance of active transit infrastructure, active transit advocacy, and what it really means to connect communities. Um, we're grateful that she made it a priority to attend some of our rides. She spoke at um, one of our rides, and I just, I believe we have the right woman in office. So, and shout out to the Asian community, huge for having, you know, a member of their community be a mayor for the first time in Boston we love to see it yeah and I you know probably an awful segue but Peter you're of Asian descent and and we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it but your kids are also biracial because your wife is black and this was just a really tough time with coronavirus on top of all the racial issues that were happening so I know it meant a lot to you to 
support this movement. Uh, you had been talking about stepping down from Bike Party, and now mm -hmm. you're a full-fledged member of Ride for Black Lives, potentially uh, Coalition for Black Lives as we continue to grow it, but more on that later. Um, and then on top of that, you started uh, another riding group, Brothers on Bikes. Uh, tell us a little bit more about all of that. Yeah, I mean... And it, is that okay that I just No, that's like, fine. Yeah, that's okay. absolutely <laughs> fine. Um, a lot of people don't know that part of me about my family. But yeah, um, my kids are biracial. And just with all the Asian hate going on this year, it just feels good to to yeah have michelle who was a mayor that won the election i just can't wait for the first ride that we organized with her uh, i'm sure there'll be many um i was just so excited i even wanted to do an impromptu victory parade ride tomorrow saturday and even called some people and people were like yeah 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 but it's just not we're gonna just timing is not working out but um i well, got when's when does she actually start we can do it in two weeks two weeks yeah. so, so we got time we got time <laughs> yeah exactly and um but as you know um towards the end of bike party a couple of years before COVID, i really got burnt out and um luckily ran into you and saw your leadership skills and just the way you you handle a crowd and just leading a ride so i just wanted to recruit you as the next ride leader for bike party and um it worked out really well you were amazing um and still are amazing leading rides and then i got a chance to sit back and enjoy bike party from the back and not from the front and it was great um but still was burnt out and then decided i don't want to do that m m part of it anymore and then COVID hit and then everything kind of shut down but then of as we know george floyd right um black lives matter movement it's just a momentum that we couldn't ignore so just and then i for myself i realized that i wanted to uplift black and brown voices in the cycling community that's like one main thing that i want to do and keep on doing so i didn't start brothers on bikes it was started with elijah and daniel but i was there for the first couple of just like bike party yeah, just like bike everybody party. just attributes it because you are always there yes <laughs> um but i've been leading their rides and then um halfway in into last year women on wheels started and they organized a ride for brianna taylor and we collaborated with ride for black lives and we got together with women on wheels and since then it's been a brothers on bikes and women on wheels thing that we've been doing um leaving out our bike snap bombs every every friday night or sunday morning um and it's grown largely and um people are wanting more so i don't think it's something we're gonna end i like that I need to come to more of them. As you know, I, I'm I'm the worst. I'm like, oh, JP, it's so <laughs> far away. Um, but I'm going to make more of an effort to, to keep coming out to those rides. Uh, but something that I keep hearing in these conversations is this desire to bring more people into the fold, which is unsurprisingly a very common trait in all of the people that I've been talking to. 
wanting to bring more more people into riding, uh, more diversity into riding, more black and brown folks on bikes. Um, and so I think that is something mixed with what we talked about earlier being, you know, all the kids that come out and ride. We have these amazing kids in the area who can do tricks that, you know, as someone over the age of 25 so that you know it's all of us you just kind of lose that that her I should say you gain fear is probably a better way to phrase it and so it's it's tough to do but they come out they can stand they can wheelie they can do all these amazing tricks and and I know the two of you have been talking a lot about how you harness that energy and and filter into other things so tell me a little bit more about these plans you have that hopefully will come to fruition in the near future on, you know, getting more kids out and riding. So I want to say it was last fall. Uh, I went on a bike ride that Vivian Ortiz had organized a bike ride for women that she often takes women out on a ride over by uh, the Mattapan, the Greenway. Mm-hmm. Her Monday night rides? Her Monday night rides. But it wasn't on a Monday night. This one was on a weekend. Mm-hmm. And I brought my daughter with me, and she rented a, a blue bike. Uh, my daughter's 14, and she quite frequently would come on the rides with us, um, the Ride for Black Lives. So we're standing in Mattapan Center, and Vivian is – you know, giving us the do's and the don'ts and sharing the history with us. And these two cyclists come over and they're like in all the garb. And of course, Vivian knows them because Vivian knows everybody, especially if they (laughs) ride a bike. If y'all know Vivian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Vivian was our first interview for the podcast. And rightly so. And we'll be back for many conversations. I'm sure. I'm sure. And so Vivian introduced us to these young men and we got into conversation after she goaded them into taking quite a few pictures of us. But we were standing there talking and these two young men were talking about going to the Blue Hills because they were practicing racing and how they used to teach in Brockton and they had some really talented kids. But the format, I guess, that they were teaching under just wasn't sustainable and that they would love to do that again. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, like, have you seen the superheroes riding down the street? Like, as a mother, I'm constantly rolling down my window like, you're amazing, but please don't die. (laughs) Don't die. I can get you a free bike helmet. Could you please just not die? And so sometimes they'll side-eyed me. Sometimes they'll laugh, and sometimes they'll give me the thumbs up. All the times when my kids are in the car, they're, like, slumping down in the seats like, could you not talk (laughs) to the people? I'm like, but I have to talk to the people because your mama can't see you, but I can see you. So I'm just going to tell you that please, you know, please don't die. Um, but so, and I see this all over Boston, everywhere. And it's not just in one place. It's not just in Franklin Park. I mean, I was driving to the highway and I took um, Columbus Ave uh, all the way. I saw some kids on the bikes who were standing up on their bikes. Another time, I was driving down Warren. I was in Dudley Station, and I'm seeing these kids do wheelies and skim the the behind their bikes, just dr- like skimming the ground. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like the core, the core strength. 
right the the coordination Mm -hmm. you know the lack of fear (laughs) all of that you know and i'm like these kids given the right opportunity there is no doubt in my mind that they could compete and be really good at any kind of competitive bicycling whether it's bmxing or cross cycling i don't know all the things i just know that on the weekends when I'm watching CNN and I'm watching these kids race on these bikes in California and go to all of these different tournaments and race it, and I'm like, our kids in Boston could do that. They're doing that already. And if they have that much talent without any formal training, imagine the powerhouses that they could be with sponsorship, with training, with the proper training grounds, and, you know, with caring and kind and um, experienced teachers. Mm -hmm. So when Peter and I started talking about possibly building a coalition that would invite cycling shops as well as other bike-adjacent businesses into a coalition where they would have opportunities and pathways because a lot of people want to do some good. They just don't know how to. They want to engage, but they don't know the folks to engage with. So we wanted to kind of open up pathways and some accountability to make sure that bike shops were hiring black and brown folks, that they were engaging with black and brown folks in the communities where their shops were located in, And one of the things that came up was like, we need to usher this whole competitive racing into that coalition because bike shops make money and bike shops have gear. And then we can also get sponsorships and just trying to figure out a holistic way. So in my mind's eye, aspirationally thinking a whole group, a team of black and brown kids who are being trained to race competitively and the whole of Boston is behind them either with sponsorships, you know, donating snacks and stuff for when they practice, making sure that kids have a way back and forth from practice, um, providing audiences for them when they're, you know, getting ready to go out on competition. I mean, this could really be a pathway for some kids to get into some high-level competitive racing or, you know, I digress the Olympics, but, you know, I'm not dreaming too much. (laughs) But I mean it, it's totally, totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, do you have any thoughts to add to that? No, she said it. I mean, yeah. I'm just going to side note for a second here for the audience. Peter, for years, was like, no, I don't want to go on bike talk. No, I don't don't like the sound (laughs) of my own voice. No. So this was a huge get. That he's sitting here with yeah. me and mm-hmm. chatting. I'm a behind the camera, behind the scene kind of guy. So, Which yeah. is hard for people to imagine when they see you so much. But keep in mind, you're seeing him. You're seeing him taking videos. You're seeing him in photos. He's a very quiet man in person. He, um, Peter has a very supportive personality. Mm-hmm. And he would rather set things up and be like, okay, go ahead, you talk. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I'll, exactly. I'll film you. You stand in front of the camera. Just go. Go, go, go. And anytime somebody has to... I can't I can't remember quite a few times when somebody needed a speaker and Peter was like, I vote for Tiffany. 
Tiffany's yeah. my vote. And I'm yeah. like, thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, but in all of this time, like you had said, Laura, we, we got the opportunity based on um, some very unsettling circumstances. But I, I, I think that most things happen for a reason. And mm-hmm. I can certainly see how the universe just kind of brought us together and hoping to definitely bring more people on the team for Ride for Black Lives. But I think that we were definitely the right group to mm-hmm. kind of spark it and, and start it off. And I think we've all kind of organically fallen into our roles. And Peter is definitely a behind the scenes person, but a cheerleader for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we always appreciate appreciate that about him but you know as the little sister i'm always like you need to talk you need to talk just a little bit just a little bit no comment <laughs> perfect i'm just here keeping watson company yes uh the other behind the scenes for everybody and i did take a picture of it is watson just snuggling so calmly and so uh, yeah. Contently, Belly rubs and back rubs, and just so content in Peter's lap. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll make that. I made sure to take a photo of it. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds very exciting. I know it's still in kind of the ideation phase, but mm-hmm. this is real. This is something that is going to happen. Um, I actually have a a neighbor just down the street that I recently met. She's about ten, and she very casually was like, "Oh, I gotta go to bed early tonight because." Got a cycle cross race in the morning, and I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> like, that's not something ten year olds just throw yay. out." She's female, she's biracial. I was like, "You get it? Like, let's go." So I'm gonna have to talk to her mom and her, of course, about this because my favorite part about the whole conversation was not just how casual, but like, of course, cycle cross. You know, like what else is there? <laughs> well, you know, road racing already ended for the year. And I was like, oh, of course. So, like, this is just the next season thing. Got it. <laughs> Check. Awesome. <laughs> cool. um, excellent. Uh, I'm very excited, of course. Let me know. Um, my nephews love riding their bikes, so we can try to plug them in and see w- any way that they can help as well, because I know they're very helpful. Say less. You know you're going to be pulled into it in all the different <laughs> ways. <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. Um, One last thing that I want to make sure I cover with both of you. And, you know, I probably don't have to keep saying this every time I have a conversation. But, you know, with these conversations, I want to complete people's pictures. Like we're not just a bike person or a ride leader or that that advocate. We have full lives and things that we like to do for fun outside of biking. Um, Some people their for fun is volunteering for me it's uh hanging out with my friends doing improv like watching marvel movies so what's um what i'm I'm gonna start with you peter so get yourself ready (laughs) what uh what do you like to do outside of you know all the biking things which it's hard to imagine you have free time but go ahead yeah all i do is biking all i do (laughs) know is biking and it's funny because people just only know me from my bike outfits my neon green colors i remember the first time i saw you with <laughs> a bike outfit on and i was like what 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 is happening it's, right it's now it's weird i almost feel like clark kent like the moment <laughs> i put on my kid on i'm like superman but when i'm just in casual clothes i'm just like yeah unrecognizable exactly the glasses but my day job i'm a videographer video producer and a video editor so i produce videos i, I love taking photography videography 
and um, yeah, behind the camera. <laughs> behind the camera and all things. What about like you were talking about motorcycles earlier? You like to go to car shows, don't you? Well, I mean, I have. Or should we not talk yeah, about? No. Is that <laughs> the? It's not a topic we want for oh now. Oh no, I uh, I live near Lars Anderson, so they every year they have um, car shows there in the summer, and I was a season pass holder for the longest time. You went with your son, right? Yes, yeah, he loves it. He really enjoys it. So it's one of those father-son things that we always look forward to. Aww, and they're yeah. both in college now. What are they studying? Yep. Uh, my daughter is graduated from college. She's doing business marketing in Los Angeles, and my son is a freshman at Rutgers in uh, New Jersey. Very exciting. I'm sure they're going to take over the world. They uh, they come from good genes. Thank you. So the next time they're around, I know I've like briefly met them, but they got to come say hi the next time they're around. Yes. All right, Tiffany, you're up. What do you do outside of biking? So outside of biking, um, I have four humans mm -hmm. from the ages of 14 to 32, um, three boys, one girl, and I am a consultant for... Jedi initiatives that's justice equity diversity and inclusion and I work with uh, companies in the AEC area which is architecture engineering and construction helping them to uh, take on policies and practices that um, will foster inclusion and diversity um, some anti-racism training uh, so consulting along those lines uh, I am also right now working with a company in Lowell. It is black led. The architect, the owner is from Kenya and um, so happy to be working there. I, I do hold the position of chief business officer and um, it's the highest position that I've ever held. Um, working with that company to um, bring them from design to design build. So now we are a bonafide construction company. And so I am being stretched more than I ever have, but I absolutely love that. Um, I am an artist and a designer at heart. I've been designing spaces in my head since as long as I can remember, probably about three or four. My dad was a builder. My mom was always designing or doing something, and I truly got it uh, just organically and that's what I love to do I love to think about how to make spaces better when spaces are better and people's surroundings are better it makes you present yourself as a more whole person mm -hmm. uh, and so that is also my interest in housing and thinking of innovative and out-of-the-box ways to provide housing for people that is off the beaten path of subsidized and affordable housing I really do feel like we need more of that but the way we name those programs and the way we structure entry into those programs doesn't allow for a lot of dignity for people and it is a human right to be able to have uh, a home that is that is safe and that is pleasing I think that a lot of people diminish the importance of how the aesthetics of what we are living in what we eat in um how are, when our kids come into the house what they see the last thing they leave before they go off into the world for the day 
uh, it really is important. And so those of us who are in the design industry, uh, I'm really trying to foster that um, taking on responsibility of making sure that those folks who are building subsidized housing and affordable housing are realizing that the kinds of materials that we're using are important. There's a reason why black and brown kids have a disproportionately higher rate of asthma and other respiratory issues. Um, There's a reason why people don't maybe want to necessarily take care of the homes and the grounds that they're on. We got to stop putting institutionalized materials that look like people are in a hospital or a jail or a supermarket. Um, No, people want wood floors. Like, let's treat people like actual humans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a lot about the psychology of it. There's a lot about the aesthetic benefit. There's a lot about the holistic approach to design and if you couldn't tell, that's what kind of gets my it's blood a big boiling. Passion, yeah. yeah, very passionate about that. Yeah, I love that. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Th- I have very much enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I find both of you delightful humans. I love collaborating with you, and hope we continue to collaborate more in the future. Um, but let's round this out with some plugs. What do you want to? Do you want people to follow you? Do you have? Yeah, Peter, you got all the plugs. Over I there. know. <laughs> I'm pointing There's to so Peter. Many. Y'all okay. can't see me, but <laughs> well, yeah. Follow Ride for Black Lives, Facebook, yeah. Instagram. Um, that could be Ride for Black Lives with the Boston. It, it, it might be Ride for Black Lives Boston. It might be with a four, like the number four, and it might be R4BL. Um, yeah. So if you Google it, you'll find all of the things. All of the things, yes. Yeah, and then um, Brothers on Bikes, I've been leading most of my rides out of jp because it's just convenient for me it's a uh, bike snob bomb i'm a board member of bike bike snob bomb so that's kind of like my home um and uh yeah follow women on wheels also and um everything else that I'm okay doing. all right be quiet now <laughs> i'm gonna finish for him Go. he's also a board member for Boston Cyclist Union and has been on a mission. When I say a mission, I mean like a mission to get black and brown people to sit on the board, uh, which he has successfully done. And he recruited me while I was on vacation, I might want to add. But I'm so glad to be a part of that. He's even gotten the first black youth on the Boston Cyclist Union's board also. Yes. Yes, and I, 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 you probably wouldn't say that, but Peter does kind of play the role of like big brother mentor, but like on the sly, and he has this way of kind of like making you feel like you did a thing when he was just like really like, I think you should do such and such. What do you think about <laughs> such and such? And so we we all appreciate him for that. Thank you. Yeah. And what are your plugs? Uh, Design for Equity, that's my consultancy. Also with a number four. Also with a number four. Um, And Ride for Black Lives, obviously Twitter, IG, Facebook. Also want to uh, also plug um, Elizabeth, which is uh, Liz's, you can cut that, but. The Trailblazers? Yes, thank you. Also want to plug Trailblazers. Liz is doing like amazing things in fitness and on bikes for particularly women of color. Um, and body positivity, which I body I positivity think is great. was amazing. Not everybody 
should or does look the same who either runs and or ride bikes. And if you follow her on, on IG, you can check out some of the like rides that they've been on. I think Peter dragged <laughs> Liz and a few other people for like a really long bike rides, but she did a hundred mile bike ride, which yeah, she was that I, I don't know which conversation is going to come out first, but I did sit down with Liz rock to talk about her journey from only running to starting to bike a lot more to running the ride for Brianna Taylor and doing her century and everything yes, like that. Yes. And it was super inspirational. Yeah. So I always make a point to mention her. We're not affiliated in any way. I just think that she's amazing and doing wonderful things. Um, Want to plug Omot Plum, Design Furnum in Cambridge, Slow Space, and Studio 26 for uh, the company that I work for in Lowell. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for both of you coming here, sitting on my porch in the waning sun where it's starting to get a little chilly. So we'll wrap this up and uh, go drink something warm. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> thank you for Thanks, having Laura. us. Thanks for having us. Love the show. Keep it up. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Tiffany. Thank you, Watson. Welcome back for another segment here, Leah. I appreciate you taking the time to come back to my house to do another recording because we ran out of time the first time we were chatting. Uh, but the nice thing about this is that I can now do a little follow-up with you. Listeners, Leah, after going through and doing that low-stress ride with us earlier that we talked about, has now biked to work on her own at least once. Correct. How did that go? I will say mostly good. I made one mistake on the way home that just basically resulted in me accidentally doing a loop I didn't need to do, but oh, no. <laughs> but it was super quick. It was just, I kind of just went the wrong way around Harvard Square and ended up back where I started, but like nothing too scary. And um, other than that, it was uh, pretty smooth. I did leave work early enough to get most of the daylight, so... Um, yeah, I had, it was like a nice day. I left at like four, got home before dark, uh, it was easy breezy. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really good way to start, um, doing the, you know, if you have to leave early to make sure it's still light out. Cause you know, just like we talked about, no one's saying you have to go all in all at once, but all of these baby steps will lead you to that confidence to be able to do those rides. Yeah. And every day at bike is a day I'm not driving or being late because of the train or whatever so yeah okay well i have a fun game for us today would you like to play a little game always <laughs> <laughs> our game today is one that uh, i think will be relevant to your biking going forward and that is a quick discussion of bike law so there are some rights that we have, some responsibilities or things that we must do on our bikes. And then there are responsibilities of things we may not do on our bikes. So I have a list of these three things, um, as well as some, you know, equipping your bikes items. And I am going to read one. I'll try to keep it as neutral as possible. And you tell me if it is a right that you have on your bicycle, a responsibility of something you should do, or is it a no-no? Okay. So I, I think it's uh, the three categories are things you can do, things you have to do, and things you 
shouldn't do. Okay. Slash no-nos. I like no-nos. It's a good term. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Let's pick one at random. Giving pedestrians the right of way. Have to. You do. You have to do that. Nice. Parking your bike on a street, road, bikeway, or sidewalk where it will be in other people's way. No, no. Definite no, no. Plus, why would you want to put your bike in danger? I know. I paid for that thing. Right? Just seems silly to me. Um, Another extension of that, which may be in this list, but I'm just going to throw it out here too. It's a no-no to park your bike on a handicap sign. I've seen that. Not, I, not I've seen people doing it. I've seen that that is a big no-no. Yeah. Hopefully you haven't seen people actually do that because that's just rude. No, like, I saw like a meme that was like a person left a note like, thanks for stealing my bike. And then a person replied with a note that was like, idiot, your bike was on a handicap pole. They probably had to remove it for access. <laughs> I think I have seen that one too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... Let's see. Using either hand to signal stops and turns. Have to? That is actually only a um, can do. Okay. So you are not. It It's one of those things that um, it's your right to use either hand. It's your responsibility to signal, but only in cases where. It is safe for you to take your hands off of your handlebars. Okay. But my follow-up to that would be having both hands off your handlebars. No, no. Total no, no. You can get fined uh, by the... You can get pulled over by the police. You must have at least one hand on your handlebars. Uh, let's see. What else we got in here? Um. Oh, this is a good one and often spoken of. Riding on sidewalks. I think it's a no-no if it's marked, but you can do it if it's not marked. Yes, exactly. Uh, outside of business districts, it's fine, and um, unless <laughs> the oh, unless the local law does prohibit. Yeah. So I have a question about the first question you asked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, about yielding to pedestrians. Mm-hmm. So is it? kind of the same as with a car where like even if the pedestrian is jaywalking it's your responsibility to yield yes okay as frustrating as that might be no i mean it makes sense <laughs> but yeah i like I, if you have a green bike light but someone's going across you're still going to be at fault if something happens exactly okay. uh and it i like to i like to use the metaphor with boats you always give the right of way to uh the boat that has the least ability to the one that's going to get destroyed upon impact (laughs) yeah um bigger boats and smaller boats uh and level of harm Mm -hmm. and you know a a sailboat i it works better with bikes and cars where a bigger motorboat has to give way to a uh, smaller boat under sail because it's harder for it to maneuver Mm -hmm. which is the same thing with bikes doesn't work as well for pedestrians to bikes because they can maneuver pretty quickly in all different ways but Mm -hmm. yeah that's what I always think about I I also think of it in just like uh, speeds and ability to do harm to others so the thing that can harm someone else the walker is not going to harm the bike but the bike can harm the work the walker Mm -hmm. therefore you must give way to them okay but yeah, hopefully they don't just pass in front of you. And I do normally point out to them that they just literally stepped in front of me, but it doesn't do a lot good. <laughs> okay. 
On the flip side, though, I also stopped traffic for a pedestrian today because he was standing at his crosswalk and wanting to go across. So that was good. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So can have to no nos. Yes. <laughs> this one's really obscure. So I- I'll say this one. Uh, <laughs> holding a bicycle race on a public road or street in the Commonwealth. This is specific to Massachusetts. Um, can you, do you need like a permit for that? Nope. You have the right to, to hold one of these, uh, as long as you do so in cooperation with a recognized bicycle organization. And if you get approval, usually from the appropriate police department, but you don't have to have a a license, which is important for all the people out there who organize rides. Okay, cool. I mean, (laughs) I figured it was some sort of like gray area of like, there's got to be a way to do it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Giving pedestrians an audible signal before overtaking or passing them. Should. Must. 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 Yeah, that one. That one uh, is often not done, but it is your responsibility and something you must do is let pedestrians know, just like giving the right of way. Okay. Even if you think that oh, well, I'm far enough away or whatever the case may be. It's it's really just about letting someone know you're around. And it should also extend to passing anyone else on a bike. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, well, there's so many good options in here. Usage of a siren or whistle on your bike to warn pedestrians. I feel like a siren is a no-no. A siren is a big no-no. A whistle just sounds super obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you do. You are not supposed to use a siren. Um, you'll see people that have like the really big air horns. Uh, they're technically not street legal, but it's very rare that someone's going to actually get in trouble for that. <laughs> Wearing an ankle reflector if there are no reflectors on your pedals. Should. Should indeed. Uh, It has a lot to do with the way that a car visually sees you. And so um, they might see a white light in the front and the rear light in the back. uh, But it could be a a motorcycle. It could be something else. And so the movement of your feet on the pedal Mm. is something that catches drivers. makes it clear that you're on a bicycle. Exactly. Interesting. Um, Speaking of those white and red lights or rear reflectors. I'll give you that one as a freebie. It's not necessarily a red light, but riding any time between uh, a half hour after sunset until a half hour before sunrise. Do you need those lights? And reflectors? Yeah. Yes. Yes, you do. There's not a good way to phrase that. <laughs> that's going to trip you up. I just wanted to make sure it got said. Yeah. <laughs> Last one. Now, I'm going to put a link to massbike.org forward slash laws so that everybody can read them for themselves because mm-hmm. we did not cover all of them. But the last one for you is passing cars on the right. Passing cars on the right. You can? Yes, you can. You don't have to. It is not a requirement. Um, but you do have the right yes. to pass on the right, especially with bike lanes and things like that. But 
and I'm going to throw this out here for everybody because I see this argument come up a lot. Well, the bike has the right of way in the right lane. You know, I should be able to just move up while a car is trying to move. Right. And the reality is don't put yourself in danger. Mm -hmm. Make sure the car sees you first. And sometimes if you have space and the ability, maybe go out and around on the left. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done that at lights where the car has its right blinker on and I just move to its left hand side if there's room Mm -hmm. so that they can just turn and I can go through without worrying about it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, these are really helpful for me because I grew up as someone as like a bike was a toy, not mm-hmm. so as much as I like to ride one and I enjoy being on a bike, the sort of laws and equipment stuff isn't really something I would know as well because when I was little, it was just like a toy for the neighborhood and like we didn't have to worry or maybe we should have been worrying about those things but we weren't (laughs) Uh, so this is helpful (laughs) yeah it's interesting that you say that actually because that was the crux of the discussion that Scott and I had um, at the beginning of the pod where we talked through the depiction of bikes and media and how since the 80s they're either shown as older people who are you know elitist white men in their kits on their like multi-thousand dollar bikes or losers who you know can't get a license for some reason oh and then the other side of it is either that or their kids toys Mm -hmm. and adults shouldn't you know the depiction is always that adults shouldn't be riding them Mm -hmm. so we're out here to change that i like it (laughs) um one last thing that i saw in here uh, i won't make you (laughs) judge this one but um another thing that's important for you to know is that you can have as many lights and reflectors as you like on your bike i was walking with a friend once and we saw we were just walking along and there was this bike and it was lit up it had all of these lights and reflectors and you know things were blinking and it looked really really cool and she just looks at me she goes is that street legal (laughs) I was like, hey. under lighting. <laughs> I, I know, exactly. So that's an important thing for people to remember. You can, you know, you have a bare minimum, which is the white front light, rear reflector, red reflector, and your pedal reflectors or ankle reflector. But there's no limit to how much you can put on. I like to hear that. Yeah. Well, Leah, is there anything you want to plug? Do you have anything you want people to pay attention to? I don't have anything right now. I appreciate the opportunity, but sadly, (laughs) there's not a whole lot going on. (laughs) Yeah, sadly, the shows that we used to do together ended two years ago with the pandemic, and we'll see if they come back, but yeah. Well, if you have any dance uh, recitals or anything in the future, let me know. My little nephew did a dance recital outdoors, and it was the cutest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. super cute. Um, otherwise, Leah, thank you so much for being here with me. And thanks for playing the game. Thank you for teaching me. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye. That's a wrap on episode four, folks. Thank you to Scott Itzvan, Peter Chung, Tiffany Kogel, and Leah Derrico for chatting with me. The theme and music is by the extremely talented Kate Hardley. Don't forget her album, West, is now available. I've listened. It's incredible. And you can get it at katehardley.bandcamp.com. The podcast is hosted, produced, recorded, and edited by me, Laura Jillian, with an honorable mention to Watson the Bike Dog for his contributions throughout the show. 
For more information about the show and biking, you can visit my website, randonista.com, and follow my adventures in biking and more behind the scenes of the pod at randonista on Instagram and YouTube, as well as Watson's biking adventures at Watson the Bike Dog on Instagram. And if you like the show, please rate and review on your podcast app. It really makes a difference. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, your Watson moment. I was riding today, and this woman in her car, a car which had a bunch of, like, Elizabeth Warren and and all these, like, progressive political candidates on it and progressive messaging, at a stoplight, saw Watson on my back, took out her phone. I thought she'd taken a photo, and I was like, that's totally fine. That's, you know, why I have a dog in a backpack so that people can take photos because it's freaking adorable. Apparently, at some point, as she was driving up next to me, she realized that he was wearing doggles. I was like, oh, my God, the dog has glasses on. And so while she was driving behind me, she, like, slowed down behind my bike, which is weird. Like, you can feel the presence of the car behind you. Um, while I'm in the bike lane and this car is like refusing to pass me in its lane as she takes out her phone and starts filming as she comes up next to me but like her car is kind of close to me I was putting my hand out like making sure her car didn't get any closer and I started like waving my arms being like oh my god put your phone down put your phone down and she like really didn't get it and then she finishes whatever she's doing she drives up to the next stoplight I stopped next to her car uh, a wait like she was several cars back so I didn't go all the way up to the light I stopped next to her car and this is where I know I I have a strong divide in how others would have handled this situation which is that I I got her attention and I said hey why don't you take a picture right now because you really shouldn't have your phone out when you're driving I felt very unsafe with you doing that next to me but you can take a, a picture right now while we're stopped at the red light and her response was, you know, oh, my God, the goggles and everything. But she was like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it didn't occur to her that I would feel unsafe by her actions. And so she repeatedly, as she was driving away, when she was done taking her photo, and like, passed me later. It was just like, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. But... I feel like at least it was a learning moment for her, but like, come on, I have a dog on my back. I know it's adorable, but I thought you took a picture already. Why did you take out your phone again and take another picture while we were moving? That was so unnecessary. I was actually, I was, I was shocked at how apologetic she was. And I, I think she appreciated that I was like, here, take a photo right now while you're stopped at the stoplight because you apparently want one. Um, so that was it was a, just a weird moment. And I know a lot of people probably would have been more aggressive with her. I just kind of laid it out. was like, this is super unsafe. Don't do that again. 